A pandemic of violence floods the streets of major cities as cases of the media dubbed murder virus, MV20 soar, causing those infected to go on killing sprees. Caught in the middle, police detective Angela Miller finds her only trustworthy ally in the self-proclaimed psychic PI, Gerald Henry. As the two try to navigate the violence, they are drawn into new age guru, Abra Mellon Harvest's plot to heal the planet. Harvest's missive? The world is sick, and humanity is the infection. The cure? Murder. From the twisted mind of Sean C. Baker, author of A Collection of Desires, and Shadowplay in Book One, Kim and Jesse, comes his most vicious novel yet, Murder Virus. Available where books are sold. Welcome to another episode of the Horror Vision Horror Podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm anticlimactic Anthony. <laughs> and I'm raving against the movie Ray. And I'm Rumpole of the Bailey, and I'll be policing these gentlemen's reviews this evening for proper etiquette and punctuation. Not to mention respect for the English language. Continue. Thank you, Rumpole. So we are, we do have Rumpole of the Bailey on tonight as a, a sort of a watchdog. We've had some reports against us with the uh, grammar and syntax Uh-oh. police. So and rampant nudity. Yeah, rampant nudity. Ray, put your shirt on. Not your pants, just your shirt. Yeah, there you go. That's fine. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Easy rumple. <clears throat> so, guys, how the hell's it going? Pretty good. It's going I'm pretty good. 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 Yeah. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. So, we, you know, we've got a, we got a lot to cover, I think. Um, there are like a couple bigger viewings that I wish could have ended up being like individual reaction episodes, but it just it didn't work that way. Uh, I I totally fumbled last week with uh, the Nighthouse, uh, which Ray and I went to see in the theater and uh, just whatever. So we're, we're just where do you guys want to start? There's some stuff that we've all seen, some stuff that'll be individual. Uh, Ray, did you watch, did you get to watch Seder? I didn't. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Um, then I don't think we have a common one, one amongst the three of us. So if y'all don't mind, let's begin with the Nighthouse because I feel like that's the furthest back in my memory. And uh, Ray and I went to see that last week at uh, an AMC. That was my first big box, like non, you know, I've been to a couple screenings at smaller theaters where nobody's there. I was at a private screening, but um, this was my return. I know Ray, you've been to the theater a couple of times since things opened back up. And uh, it was, it was, it was an acceptable scenario all across the board. So we were able to really focus on the movie. Um, Ray, what did you think of, of the night house by David Bruckner? Uh, I mean, overall, I liked it. I, th- I think it's a little bit slow moving. Um, and it is more a uh, uh, supernatural thriller than it is a horror movie. Um, 
but it's very well acted. Uh, Rebecca Hall does a great job, like because yeah. she's pretty much carrying the film kind yeah. of all on her own. Um, and there's a lot of moments where it's just because of her isolation, being at this home by herself, and like hearing weird noises or weird stuff starts happening. Um, that it's all based around her reaction, and I think she does a great job of not just being like screaming at every little thing or like being like. <gasps> Oh, startled, you know, it, she does a great job. And she's also, uh, uh, what's, what's the word I'm thinking of? She's, uh, she's been through a lot, but her, she still does this great job of being this like, um, sarcastic and, 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 uh, uh, interesting character on screen. Definitely. Uh, I'm, so I recently, after we, we uh, watched it, I read in the latest issue of Fangoria, which is number 12, uh, there's uh, Radio Silence interviews Bruckner, David Bruckner, the director. And then conversely, on I think it's the latest or one of the latest uh, episodes of the podcast, Colors of the Dark, they interview the screenwriters, um, Ben Collins and Luke. Piotrowski. And so based on information from all three of these gentlemen, um, you know, one of the things I guess this, so Ben and Luke brought up on the podcast that you really, she's not like you say, she carries the movie, but also they do an interesting thing with this movie where when they said this, I was like, that's it. Exactly. It's how I felt. Some of the time you feel like you're her, and some of the time you feel detached from her, like you're watching your friend spiral out of control. Would you say that's a fair way? Like that, that it kind of shifts perception that's, with the character? Yeah, that's interesting. I thought that was that really is interesting. interesting. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that's fair. It's seamless the way that they do it. And I had to think about it. But I think one of the, the things to that is I really feel like the supporting actress, Sarah Goldberg, who people will know from Barry, if you've seen Barry, um, which he's great in, but uh, this is a different thing for her. And I feel like she really helped add to that because you do get the sense through her and even some of the, you know, there's a scene in the bar where, where it's like uh, they're all sitting around talking after work, right? It's like, oh, why don't you come out? You know, I mean, I guess the setup here and I don't want to give too much away, but so Rebecca Hall is Beth and, and the movie starts basically her husband has committed suicide from out of nowhere. He was a successful architect. He built the house that they live in, which is on a lake. And there was just no warning signs. And so he, she, you're picking up with the movie where she's just come from the funeral and she's very angry and sad. I'd say almost more angry. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Uh, understandably so, yeah. Understandably so, right? There was no signs or whatever. So, you know, with Sarah Goldberg's, uh, she works with her at the school where their teachers, Claire is the character Sarah plays. You know, oh, come out with us. Uh, we're going to go drinking. So it's like them and two other co-workers. And you really get a sense there of this unbridled fury in Beth's character. And so I also think that that fury is what shifts. So I think going by that, that idea that you're with her sometimes you're her and sometimes you're watching her from from close by 
I think that that fury separates us from her and that it, I, it separates us in a way because it's almost like, whoa, like you are feeling what the people around her are feeling. Holy shit. Like this is caustic. I shouldn't have said that, you know, constantly the one guy at the table in the bar keeps like, I'm sorry. He keeps like apologizing for asking questions that maybe he shouldn't ask. And she's fine answering them because she kind of, you know, she wants to talk about it. She wants answers. And I thought that was really interesting that her, her fury, the way it's on display is not something we're used to see. Anybody's used to seeing from somebody who's bereaved. So it, it doesn't alienate us like it doesn't alienate us as a viewer from the character of the movie but it alienates us the way like if you were sitting in that bar with her you would feel like oh man like super awkward you know whatever uh and that really then kind of feeds into her isolation so that like you said she carries a lot of the movie and just it's like her descent into this weird world her husband had been living in that she had no idea about and and i will say like i really like the movie and one of the things I really liked about it is it doesn't go anywhere near where you think it's going. Like it, the trailer gives you absolutely, I thought the trailer, I was thinking like, man, I feel like maybe this is giving away too much. Uh-uh. I didn't see where this, did you see where this was going? Like with the, the overall where no. the story goes? No. So kudos. Also, I will say these are the guys doing the next Hellraiser movie. And you could see it in here. There's an element of Hellraiser that's kind of at play in here or a similar element. So I'm, that makes me really excited for Hellraiser. Very cool. Huh. Um, any other thoughts or should we move on? Uh, no, I think that's it. I mean, I think you touched on a lot of things. Uh, it's a very good points there. I mean, um, yeah, it's just, it's not a, it's, I I, th I thought from the trailer that it was going to be like a haunted house movie, mm -hmm. um, but it's not, it's not a haunted house movie, it's something else entirely. Um, I guess one thing that I thought about, it reminded me a little bit of a, I still need to finish that book, it's just such a labyrinth of a book, ironically, uh, it reminded me a little bit of House of Leaves, and yeah. um, uh and the fact that, like, you know, that movie has been made, that the, the film uh, uh, Dave Made a Maze has been made. Um, I'm really waiting. I, 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 I kind of want somebody to see about uh, either. I don't think cinematically it would work maybe as a TV series. I would just like to see someone try to tackle the material that is uh, House of Leaves. Because it would be interesting. Be it could be really done as a TV show. To watch. Yeah, I think it could be done as a TV show. Because there's multiple narrative strains in it. So at, at yes. different levels of meta and whatnot. So I think like yeah. you, you follow different people. I think it would work if the right yeah. person got it. But yeah, good point. Anthony, what do you got? What do I got? What do you got? Man, I read this awesome book. It's called uh, Did You Hear What Eddie Gain Done? Uh, written by Harold Schechter, famed true crime writer. And uh, illustrated by Eric Powell of Goon fame. It is nothing you didn't already know about. It's basically, you know, the life of Ed Game. Growing, I, I don't, I, you know, even to this day, I don't know how how to pronounce his last name. <laughs> I think I think it's Gein. Is if it I'm Gein? not mistaken, I believe it's Gein. Let's call him Mr. Gein. There you go. Not to be mistaken with Mr. Bean, who is a delightful <laughs> chap. <laughs> 
But who also I, I hear wears I also hear he wears ladies' faces. So I don't. I know would imagine so. Uh, so I uh, I guess this thing kickstarted and then got picked up and also mass produced. Uh, it is a phenomenal read. It's it's harrowing in the sense of like you see all the horrible shit that Dean goes through as a child and you know into his teens and just constant bullying and whatnot and you almost feel sorry for him until you know you you start getting to the parts where he's you know creating suits out of women's skin and yeah et cetera et cetera grave robbing you know proposed necrophilia we don't really know and no one ever will because he's dead and he was you know declared insane and was uh you know institutionalized but uh the story you know goes around um i guess it's a retelling of, of when he basically gets found out as well so you're seeing the reactions of his neighbors and you know and, and most of this stuff is coming from you know reporters and whatnot who, who had interviewed everyone around him because i guess you know uh, media kind of descended like vultures as soon as mm -hmm. you know the, the, the story broke so you, you're getting all these different like uh you know viewpoints from from all the different towns folks and whatnot and police officers and you know just people that were close to him in general um it is a well-told story it is not embellished it is uh terrifying and um and sad very sad. I mean, when when you go into um, you know child abuse and stuff like that that he went through as a kid, that you know ultimately cracked him. You know, mm -hmm. um, but then you know it's just it's it's horrific stuff. It's it's true crime, and you know there's nothing more terrifying than the real shit, and that's what this stuff is. Um, however, it is available uh, through Albatross Albatross Funny Books. <laughs> I don't know if you saw the. The little yeah. thing on the back of the book it said albatross funny books the book ain't fucking funny <laughs> <laughs> but it is a sensational read sean i know you started reading it um give me some of your thoughts on it man i'm about three quarters of the way through and you know typically true crime and especially serial killer stuff i just don't go near because it just gets too i need a it gets too far under my skin i need a dose of fantasy and this so, dude, this, like you said, this is true horror. Like, I mean, the way that they cover his early years and really set up who he is and how he got to be that person based on his mother, the relationship between his mother and his father, the relationship between him and his mother, the relationship between the mother and the brother, um, it's that even in itself before you even get to like oh i'm killing women and wearing their skin and and just that in itself is horrible and then you get after I, i'm you know i'm not going to worry about spoilers because like you said everybody knows all this anyway for the most part but after the mother dies and you see there's scenes of him like he's got you know he's helping out on he gives up their farm basically just lets it grow over he you know he's not he doesn't have the ability to keep up with it so he starts working with neighboring farms as a farmhand and that's how he sustains himself and you see him trying to make small talk with the other people working on the farm and it's like oh i read this book about this hitler or this nazi guy that made lampshades out of women 
Pretty interesting, huh? <laughs> it's just like, this is his attempt at camaraderie, at, at like connecting with another person, another human being, because he's so isolated and so afraid of everybody and everything around him. At one point, I think the brother says to him, you know, like Ma thinks that the whole damn town is a cat house, you know, it's unrealistic or whatever. And, he, and he's just so firmly under his mother's thumb. And so there, this is what I didn't know. I, I knew all about it, Gein. I didn't realize, you know, you always hear psychos based on it. And I never really understood how. Now I understand how it's the mother, right? Like oh, yeah. it's it's totally Norman Bates and his mother. So that makes sense now to me. But uh, it's Eric Powell's illustrations as usual are just gorgeous. And, you know, it, it, like you said, it's not embellished, but there are times when he shows you what might be in Ed's mind. And, and it's man it's so starkly horrific and beautiful at the same time it's just oh man i i it's an excellent excellent read no it's fantastic i, I like i said i sat down i had an hour to kill and I, I ran through 90 pages of it like it just it it flows so well and keeps you entertained throughout throughout you know the duration of the read it's fantastic i can't wait for you to finish it but you know it it doesn't go anywhere that you don't know, but uh, you know it's it's still there's still a lot to uh, see. And again, um, Powell's illustrations are fantastic all the way through. Yeah, they really um, are. I... It's really is an outstanding book. Um, for those who want to go pick it up, it's thirty bucks. It's it's a bit of a hefty price tag, but it's independent. It's, it's in the, yeah. I mean, that's a small a small imprint, Albatross. That might be Powell's imprint. I'm not positive about that, but I feel like it might be um but it's, yeah you, you'd be you're some either way it's a small company so you're supporting that and you know one final thought do you think i hadn't thought of this the way you said so the media descends you know and you see it happen and obviously they did because there'd never been anything like this is wisconsin in the 50s right you think this is where the media and serial killers and the rabid like news cycle that is now i mean serial killers are kind of passe you know quote unquote but you think that's where it started like i don't Absolutely. know that the, okay i don't know the media go, behaved that way before they intentionally went looking for people with it that would tell the most outlandish tales about him yeah you know, they wanted they wanted people to tell the craziest things that they could imagine and majority of it was made up you know but you know also a lot of these folks are like you know it's a poor town it's a podunk town a lot of these yeah. These, these writers were probably paying for stories so yeah. they were getting money's worth at that point as well so yeah, and 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 anything salacious or it sells you know so and i mean they even mentioned that that's what ed was drawn to reading was anything salacious or just yeah. all this weird morbid shit. pulp comics he read yeah. pulp comics he read you know he read about uh you know headhunters in new guinea and, and shrunken yeah. heads and stuff like that where there was always uh, a woman in peril or, you know, being murdered or, or what have you, but all these pulp comics and stuff that, that, that he loved. Um, and that was his escape, you know, and um, unfortunately his actions have had, you know, uh, an impact throughout history and also throughout media. I mean, I mean, you see Psycho and ultimately uh, it, the, the character, you know, um, Leatherface yeah. from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is also based on him as well. Um, so thanks, Gene, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, at the same time, I wish there was a way to we could have gotten those two things without him actually doing what he did. Exactly, exactly. Because it's, it's but, pretty fucking awful. 
Yeah. But again, a fantastic for those that are interested. It's a possibility that like it's it's uh it was like a snowball effect. I mean, because uh it was it was also about the same time as like uh I forget the name of the actual murders, but the murders that uh Capote used uh oh, for yeah, cold yeah, blood. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you just had a, a, a kind of snowballing effect of like media and like people knowing like this is the story that people are going to want to hear. So they tell it. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. It makes I mean, total sense. yeah. I mean, we kind of, and now we live in a time where, oh, it, it's, you know, you, you bring up the point of like it, it troubles you because you want a little bit of fantasy. And like, I think the reason that like horror is most horror is so easy for me to sit and watch. Um, and I find difficulty in the serial killer genre, like the Henry's and the maniac and, 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 and uh, found is that they have that, they have that touch of realism. Like, yeah. especially when you talk about films like Henry, like it, it goes back to the game story of like, you know, he's, he's this, he, he first he's this kid and he just has a terrible, family life and henry he keeps telling you throughout the film about terrible things from his personal young life that formed him into this person he is now and it just becomes too real uh i mean we never know what the uh young life of leatherface was other than maybe he was just this guy who was already probably a little bit messed up in the head who had a family who would encouraged him to do bad things mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. and to eat people and to wear their skin and we but we never have like we we've never been we've never been like privy to like a story where like they go back and they're like here's the grandfather as a young man and here's him with his grandchildren here's him with a little kid not yet known as leatherface and him like i don't know putting him in like in a cage or something or making him kill animals and like while he's like crying he's weeping and he's making like we haven't been put through that so he's just this guy who's already there he's already this killer um and it's a little bit unrealistic whereas we have to deal with something that's just a lot more real and shocking it's it's hard to sit through i find it ironic because there's people who like have trouble sitting through horror movies, but will just sit there and watch the, the, the true crime stuff. Yeah, I know, right? And they'll yeah. do it, they'll do it as something that chills them out. They'll do it as like an end of night, like, this is fun. Let me, I'm just gonna turn on this and listen to this. He was a man. He came to a small town. No one knew who he was, but Patty Larson was never gonna be the same when they found her body five days later. You know, yeah, like, right. What? Right. That makes you calm. Like that terrifies me that that's our world. But you know, whatever. You know, to each his own. <laughs> whatever works for you. I'd rather yeah. go with something like a vampire that I know can never be real. Right. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting though. To, just to to riff on that for a minute, the idea that it's like you were saying, um, and I'm not disagreeing, but I'm offering a counterpoint, which is. You said that, you know, with Leatherface, he's just kind of like given to us as this fully formed being. And so it's less realistic. But, you know, the funny thing is the exact opposite is true for Michael Myers, because the original Halloween, you only get that 
weird, you know, the scene, the opening scene. And then it's just, well, the thing about that movie, people always say when they compare it to Rob Zombie's version, which shows you he tortured animals and this and that. And it, you know, it kind of, to me, that takes away from the stark terror of this kid just snapped and did this. Like we didn't see this backstory. Yeah. So it's weird. It's situational perhaps, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's really interesting because in some ways that does lessen the reality in other ways, I guess it makes it more robust. So interesting. Hmm. Well, I think part of it, I mean, just because uh, if you think about like, I I I I I'm I'm gonna have to borrow this or see if I can find a copy for myself and read this this book because it sounds interesting this graphic novel, but um, the fact that it starts when he's young, um, it it does a thing exactly like uh, I can't keep I keep going back to Henry, but it makes me think about Henry, um, even a little bit of the for the original Maniac because it's it makes them sympathetic like. It's yeah. they were some they were some poor person who was put through terrible things, and this is what destroyed them. This is what turned them into the mangled, misshapen psyche yeah. that they are. That becomes this thing that it becomes acceptable to kill because, um, hey, that's the way life is. This is what life has taught me. Life has taught me to be harsh. Life has taught me to be ugly. Um, and if things upset me, then this is how, how life has tra- taught me to deal with it. And, you know, it's uh, it's a lot harder to deal with because they're sympathetic. There are these yeah. people that have been through something, you know, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, th- that's interesting in that, like, look at look at the origin. You know, also, there's so here's a weird. So, OK, in the Ed Gein book, um, there are scenes and I think the thing when Anthony said like it, there's a like a sadness or like like Ray you were just saying is sympathetic which I feel like is is not super there with Ed Gein because of what he ultimately does and the kind of the weird way that he sees everything which is sad but also just whatever but there's these repeated scenes of him curled up on his bed and just like you can tell he's such a damaged dude and and it just was never given any apparatus to navigate the world by his parents at all. And so he, he turned to just this fantasy world that just unfortunately meant that he, in order to sustain it, he did these terrible things. Right now look at like a movie, like pieces that starts out trying to give you the reason why. And it, it's so ridiculous and it's hysterical. And I remember, I remember like, I don't even know how long ago. I mean, well, you know, I can remember seeing the box for that uh, at the video store at the, this is before even big box video stores, the general store in Worth, Illinois, where we lived was the first place that was biased when we first got a VCR in the early 80s. And that's the place where you went, the, the fucking general store. I remember it was like a, a, a woman that was probably in her 20s or 30s and her father ran this business. And it was like, whatever a general store sells, they sell. And then they got into VHS and it became a thing for them, right? Until a big box put them out of business. But I can always remember seeing that box. And at some point in my young life, I heard Ebert, I think it was Ebert and Siskel talk about this movie and how repulsive it was. The fact that he's like putting together this, this jigsaw puzzle of the naked woman. And then like they rip it up. And then, so then he gets the, you know, he rips up the actual woman. It was just, and it's like, dude, are you serious? This is so fucking ridiculous. I mean, again, it's a different time. I guess people were, 
they had such a weird limited perspective on stuff like this because it was newer so they were all so afraid of it and like we saw in sensor like is this on video you know kids can watch it back and forth and freeze frame and rewind or whatever and it's going to ruin them and i don't know but look ed gein's mother and her bizarre twisted christianity did more to damage that person and all the lives around him than than a movie ever did so there you go that's once again i just i want to look back at these people that were so you know uptight and uproarious at the time and just be like really this is the hill you planted your flag on like you're you're fucking idiots but they also again i mean i guess i shouldn't say that because they had a limited perspective anyway whatever um yeah great book i can't wait to finish it man i i'm i'm glad you got a chance to read it and uh chris and i are going to do hopefully something special for that for our most horrible library coming up so watch for that folks out there in listener land um i'm going to go back and touch on something i mentioned i had watched the first episode of on our last podcast and that is nick and brand new cherry flavor on netflix so i we did this two Saturdays ago, our last episode, I think. I had watched it the, the night, the first episode the night before and really liked it. The day after, Sunday, we did the episode. All I did was watch the next seven, ep- seven episodes. I fucking love this so much. This is going to be one. I mean, th- dude, do you remember? I feel like I'm on an episode early in the year. I was saying something like, man, I don't know, last year there was all this stuff to look forward to. And this year, I feel like it's there's not a lot. And now I'm like, everything I watch, I'm like, Jesus, this is like the best thing. Jesus, this is like the best thing. Jesus, this is like the best thing. Brand new cherry flavor is, there's so much, man, I, there's so much like David Lynch in it, but in the right way. And in, and not to diminish like what Nick and Costa does, um, and I believe it's it's uh, Lenore Zion is the is the other I don't know if they're co showrunners or creators or whatever, but um, she's the other name that's up front. And it's based on a book by Todd uh, Grimson, which has been long out of print. I had never even heard of it before. I'm hoping somebody puts it back in print. Pretty sure somebody will. Um, Ro- uh, Rosa Salazar plays Lisa Nova, the lead. Catherine Keener is fucking incredible as Boro. Um, and then Eric Lang, Lou Burke, uh, those are kind of the, the big three. It's so good. It go, I, I, I've never seen some of the shit that it does. I've never fucking seen. There's nothing to compare it to at all. Um, there's tons of body horror. There's a really cool LA vibe. You know, there's times it almost has a Tarantino vibe to it in a way. And then it, it definitely, if, you, if you're a fan of Channel Zero, you'll fucking love it. There's so much just weirdness to it and and oh the locations are fucking awesome uh Catherine Kino Boro she's like this like urban witch I guess I mean they they end up getting to an explanation for her character but um the the shit that that some of the shit that she does to people and like oh my god dude there's like oh, wow it's just I've never seen anything like it and I love everything about it visually the script, the dialogue, the acting, the camera work, everything. I just love it. So that's like right now my new favorite thing. I saw the first episode. Uh, I need to watch the rest. Uh, but yeah, it's good. I, I was really impressed. Um, I think uh, I think what it lends, it's uh, the Lynchian flavor to it is um, one I think is the is our lead character 
um, because she's not, how should I put it? She's flawed. She's tainted. Um, and that's, that's just something he does. It's something he has always created. Um, even going back to uh, Blue Velvet, I mean, Jeffrey seems this just like, you know, standard, you know, American boy, but he has his own little dark fetishes in his closet that he's not even dealing with on his own. Um, and our lead character in this is the same. She's, she's, uh, she's driven and she wants uh, to achieve fame as a filmmaker, but though she's at the same time she doesn't want to compromise herself she also is willing to take steps back but she also knows it's she's willing to walk over her, her friend's corpses to get what she wants yes i mean she's yes, totally yes, amoral absolutely, absolutely, absolutely amoral yeah yeah but in a very um I don't know. It's in a great way. Yeah, it is. Um, I agree. And um, he's just, it's also, it also has that, that thing of like that Lynch, that Lynch is able to accomplish most of his films of like, it's just, he's one of those few people. And like, this does it where like in broad daylight, you just have a sense of, of fear and terror. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah totally. It's just like, God damn, anything could happen. Um yeah. And he and, and also it does this thing of introducing characters like these background characters that you just get a sense of menace from from the fucking moment they appear. Just the moment they appear, you're like, God damn, that is someone to be terrified by. Um, the best example of any Lynch film that I can always think of is the homeless person that lives in the lives behind the dumpster in Mulholland Drive. Every time that characters Who on totally screen, feels it's just like terror. Boro feels does, like, yes. like, I feel like there's influence there. And then the funny thing is... And Patrick, the biker. And and the biker. Um, the, the, um, the actor, is it uh, Patrick Fischler, who is the guy in Mulholland Drive, who has the dream, and then his therapist or whoever that guy is makes him go out there, and then that's when the dumpster witch accosts them, right? He's then in the last couple episodes of Brand New Cherry Flavor. And I've grown to love him. Everything he's in. He's in Twin Peaks of Return. He's in Happy. He's fucking great and happy. Oh, my God. Um, just he's a very good actor. Um, but, yeah, so it was cool that they pulled him in, too, because Boro reminds I feel like Boro is almost like Nick Antacosta wanting to say, so what's the deal with this dumpster winch, which behind this dumpster? Like, let's give her a story. There's so many things about Boro that remind me of of that character so man uh i don't know i just i i i finished it you know that sunday and immediately by the next day i wanted to watch it again that's that has only ever happened with lynch N nothing else i don't think ever has has made me feel like that so that you know to me that's a big deal so uh great what do you got there is a movie that i had seen the poster for and like summaries of on a couple different things i think it was on uh, and so finally just sat down and watched it on arrow uh called the dead center oh dude written and directed by billy sneeze and it stars sean carruth shane um, carruth shane carruth yeah shane carruth, carruth who did uh, upstream carruth, color carruth. and primer yeah and yeah uh, he, but he stars in the film um 
it's about there's a guy who gets brought in a dead body and uh he's brought into a morgue and before they can inspect the body the guy wakes up in the morgue pops up off the slab starts walking through the hospital finds a room with an empty bed with another guy in there already uh you know with a with somebody in the other bed um curls up into the bed goes to sleep to warm himself up the next day the nurse finds him and no explanation of who he is he's naked they don't know where he came from they don't you know i mean obviously they're not checking the morgue because they have a dead they have a live person so they're like what's going on and um he's catatonic and they bring in uh Shank Roof's character, who plays uh, Dr. Daniel Forrester, who's a, a hospital psychologist. Um, and he starts trying to figure out what's going on with this guy um, and can't really get anything out of him. And then people start dying in the hospital. And he thinks it's connected to this guy. Um, it has a supernatural element. It's very much of a slow burn. Um, it's very much of an atmosphere film, um, but it's a good. It's a good film. I mean, it's interesting. Uh, it becomes this thing of the guy. Apparently, his wife died, and so he attempted to commit suicide. And the attempt at committing suicide is the genesis of what is going on in the film. I don't want to go too far into it and ruin anything, but it's worth, it's definitely worth checking out. And um, yeah, if you don't have arrow uh, it's worth checking out for that. It's on prime. Oh, it's on prime too. It was I dude. I watched it like a month and a half, two months ago. I forgot about it. So I'm glad you brought it up because I wanted to cover it on here and forgot about it. I Uh, fucking loved it. I thought Shane Carruth was fucking awesome. Um, yeah, he's good. He's good. It, the movie creates this like concentric spiral of tension that just it yes. keeps increasing and keeps increasing and draws you to the conclusion. Like I, I just really thought the dead center was the perfect title. Now I don't know if that planted the idea in my head, and that's why I interpreted it like this. But I felt like it, I was swirling into this like, like just epicenter of total fucking chaos and that's like where we ended up so it was i just oh man i really really liked everything about this fucking movie yeah so well done so fucking well and jeremy childs who plays the john doe jesus fucking dude oh my god he's so good wow great movie yeah it's worth a watch it's a good one it's 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 got great atmosphere It's, it's very much a slow burn um Maybe I thought about it because it reminds me, uh, and I'm not going to explain why it reminds me. You'll have to watch them both for yourselves out there, listener land. But uh, it reminds me a little bit of the night house. So, okay, I can see that. Yeah, cool. Anthony, what do you got? I have that movie. I bought it like a year ago. It's been on my watch stack. I have not watched it. <laughs> it's, Dude, what? It's, it's, sitting, it's solid. No bullshit. It's sitting there on a fucking stack of movies up to my knee. I just haven't watched it yet. But uh, I'll have to put a fire under my ass so I can sit down and listen to that one. Or watch that one, rather. Uh, it sounds pretty damn good. Uh, me, I recently uh, 
picked up a book from Aftershock, and it's a one-shot from uh, Peter Milligan, and it is illustrated by Piotr Kowalski, and it's called God of Tremors. And uh, I hate to go back into child abuse, but we're doing it. <laughs> so if any of y'all are triggered, turn it off. <laughs> uh, it starts off with this kid. Um, it's it's a period piece. It's 1900s, late 1900s. Uh, this this child st- suffers from epilepsy. His father is like a, a deacon of a church, very you know overbearing, very I'm going to beat the demons out of you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it, you know. On one hand, he has his mother who's trying to lean towards science. And then on the other hand, he's got his dad who's just wanting to kick the shit out of him every time he has an epileptic fit. It's pretty, it's pretty sad. It's, it's horrible. Anyway, uh, long story short, this kid goes for a walk in the uh, woods one day and finds this totem that starts speaking to him and basically says, I, I am now your new god. And uh, you listen to me and do what I say. I'll take care of you. Chaos ensues and whatnot. And, uh, it, it, it ends pretty uh, horrifically for for some and for others. It's it's great, but uh, you know it's it's a good quick read. It's, again, it's a one shot, uh, and it, it's presenting a really beautiful prestige format from Aftershock. Six ninety nine price tag, definitely worth the read. Definitely worth the buy. It is uh, it's pretty cool. There's a lot, like I said, there's there, there's you know realistic horror stuff in it, and then there's the uh, supernatural horror stuff that happens and it that, that keeps you uh, entertained. It's a good read though. It's it's pretty awesome. It's I love that now more people are doing what DC started with the black label, which is that like prestige format where it's not just thicker, but it's you know it's wider. It's like the magazine. I don't know what the actual term for it, it that format is, but I I. Other than it's being frustrating with bags and boards because it's not going to fit in your conventional bag and board. Although you know, obviously now they make them for that as well. But um, yeah, it's it. I saw that book. I didn't pick it up, uh, and I probably should have. I really like a lot of Peter Milligan. Um, so it, yeah, it looks cool. Did he write Hellblazer for a time? He did. He did. Okay. Um, God, he's written so many and things. Hellboy as well. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that could be that. I don't. I can't confirm or deny that, but definitely, I wouldn't. I wouldn't doubt it at all. That's that would be his, you know, playground. His forte. Title yeah, but it's play. done really well. It's done really well. I I recommend it. Aftershock's cool. been knocking it out of the park lately with with their their stuff. They they've been doing really well, especially in the horror genre. Yeah, nice. Uh let's see. I'm gonna go to. I watched. Uh, the first two episodes of the new American Horror Story. So not American Horror Stories, the anthology spinoff. I did watch some of those and liked some. And didn't. I'm not going to talk about those right now. But the new, so double feature, season 10, right? Was delayed a year because of COVID. Um, they dropped two episodes. So first of all, all the all the imagery associated with this, it's plastered all over LA and it's, a vampire and a, a alien making out or doing whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think the double feature thing is that the, the season is going to be half one story, half another story. That's what it looks like, which is good because one of the complaints I always have about American Horror Story is they tend to go on too long. Not in all cases, Roanoke comes to mind, 10 episodes in and out, perfect. But um, so the first two episodes are called, uh, are, the story is called Red Tide. So I think that's the first feature. And it's vampires. It is possibly my most favorite take 
on vampires ever. The way they, there's a scene where Evan Peters explains to Finn Whitrock, which is just a name that I just can't believe, no disrespect because he's a great actor, but Finn Whitrock, it's what a, it's just a great name. Um, he, when Evan Peters explains kind of the, how this has happened, it's, it's wonderful. It's kind of, it has nothing to do with any historical approach to vampirism or whatever. It's totally fresh and new and it really fucking works. It's very cool. And it's just, it's, it takes place in Cape Cod in the off season. So there's, you know, there's early on, there's a, uh, a like a, the, it's a fan. Okay. It's Finn Whitrock is a writer who has done some like TV work, but basically his agents like look if you want to keep writing in tv you need to come up with your own thing so write a pilot so he's got an idea for a pilot he it's um him and his wife and their um young daughter move to cape cod in the off season they rent this house and he's you know he's gonna write his pilot and he, he has no inspiration. A lot of shades of the shining where it's like constantly him in front of the, work, the laptop and you just see the cursor blinking and he's not writing anything. He's drinking and um, his wife, who is played by, I will tell you in just a second. I can't believe I'm not remembering her goddamn name. She's in every, uh, Lily Rab. His wife, Lily Rab, is like uh, a decorator that works through Instagram. I don't totally understand Instagram the kind of thing that alienates me even more from it she has these clients that they're staying in this house free so she can like change the she can like fix up the house or redecorate the house or whatever for whatever and the daughters of i is very young and, and classically uh is like obsessed with being first chair in some orchestra by the time she's like 17 so they're all kind of artistic and and they're driven and they go there and there's like nobody at Cape Cod at this time of year. So it's just desolate. There's just very few people. And uh, he meets these other writers and they're famous. One's a famous playwright and one's a famous novelist that works under a pseudonym. And, and then there's also like these very almost Nosferatu-esque, like just animalistic vampires that pop up all over the, the town just occasionally. And, and it just goes from there. I don't want to say too much I, I may have I, I may have said too much already but I I'm really thinking I I just really like it so far two episodes and I'm very much looking forward to the next episode so yeah it's always nice when I like this show because I always want to like American Horror Story and sometimes I don't so see what is that red tide on I mean uh, that you said it's on FX but do they have it on Hulu it's on Hulu so you just have okay. to find season 10 because I believe yeah. My friend Missy just had this trouble too when I recommended it to her. Like, I think it's just called season 10 on Hulu. And it is kind of confusing that they're advertising this as double feature is the name of the season, like Hotel or Roanoke. But when when you look at the episodes, the episodes, like the first episode of the season is called like Cape Fear, I think. And the second one is like Pale. And then there's the Red Tide is the story. So there's like multiple titles for everything. It's kind of a little confusing, but overall, if you look at double features of presentation, Red Tide is the name of the first feature and then the individual episode titles, if that makes any sense. But it is on Hulu. I believe they air on FX on Wednesday and they're available when uh, like Thursday at 12 a.m., you know, on Hulu. So hmm, interesting to see what that explanation is. It's good. Uh, well, um, on a related note, I watched uh, Jacob's Wife. 
because I finally hit Shutter. I've been wanting to see that. Um, it's great. Yeah, it's it really fantastic. Um, I think one of the things I liked so much about it was not only that it has Barbara Crampton, who's starring in the uh, lead role, um, and she's great. She's so great. She's fantastic in the movie. Um, and so perfectly cast. She's just this... Uh, she's this old she's an older woman who's married to um this church minister and she's a uh, i think her old, old ex-boy old ex-boyfriend puts it rather well she's just this church mouse uh you know very meek very used to living a life with this minister and um basically through weird circumstance runs into a vampire gets bitten and starts to become a uh femme fatale and she's fucking great like uh you know she's very good at playing this like meek you know like cowering woman and then when she starts to become uh the femme fatale she's sexier she's more vibrant she's a lot angrier and aggressive um and she's fantastic and plus uh i i had to look it up because she, uh, Barb Crampton is in her, I, she had to be like her 60s. She had to be like 60 when she made the film because she's 62 now. Um, she looks fantastic. Yeah. Just absolutely fantastic. And for those out there who are fans of her from the past, yeah, there is a topless scene and they are magnificent. <laughs> <laughs> it, it sounds weird to say it. But I mean, she was so known for, known for nudity in the past in horror movies Fair that like, she has this nude scene, she has this like topless scene in uh, this movie, and wow, those those cannot be the breasts of a sixty year old woman because they're fantastic. Um, but she's paired with of all people, Larry Fessenden. Yeah, and he's also the other fucking lead, fantastic. And he's great. Yeah. I mean, which, which that's not the first was, time they've I been a so... couple on screen either. Because uh, what is it? True? What's the other is one? it? Uh, isn't it? Uh, are are oh, they a couple in? Uh, uh, we're still no. here. No, no, they're not the couple. They're, oh, they're, you're right. You're right. Yeah, you're the right. Other, He's the you're husband right. to the other. It's the yeah, other woman, right. and she's Sorry. yeah. But they're no, they're both in that movie. They still work in this, and like, I was worried that like knowing going in that like i knew he was in it i knew that she was in it i knew that it was like sure becoming a vampire that like at some point she was just going to kill him off but thankfully that doesn't happen like uh no spoilers for the ending but like thankfully he's there for the majority of the film and i was so happy because his character evolves too and goes through a whole story arc and he's uh i mean he's easy to dislike because he's 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 this minister so he's a little bit holier than now he does a lot of mansplaining and the interrupting of his wife and just oh, always to her yeah. yeah but he goes through his own story arc and he he's he becomes a more sympathetic character and a likable likable character um but yeah i thought it was really entertaining it's darkly funny and um it surprised me because it has a real female empowerment message. And I was not expecting that. I was not expecting that. 
the horror movie genre, I mean, the, the vampire genre is just so rife with women getting turned into vampires, especially in the old Hammer days, and then just like going off and starting to kill people slowly over time. And then like, we just have to get rid of this devil. And then like, you know, but it has this message of like, well, maybe the reason that this is so alluring to you is because it's giving you more power and the regular being a regular woman has left you with less power yeah and this is well said. this is the ability to even the scales and um yeah it's fantastic it's so worth a watch and to see two horror powerhouses in the same film doing such a great job against each other or with each other is is great it, you know, and also it's interesting, uh, you know, who plays the master is Bonnie Ahrens, who is the dumpster witch in Mulholland Drive. Really? Or oh, dumpster bum, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Dumpster um, bum. She's also the nun, which I still haven't seen. But yeah, so she's uh, oh. she's great in it, too, as the master. I thought that they did a really good job yeah. with that. Um, uh, Anthony, what do you got? Now let's oh, talk uh, Never Hike in the Snow. Oh, yes. Yes. No. Uh, Wampstom Films, uh, their sequel to uh, Never Hike Alone, which is, you know, a fan Friday 13th film, which was pretty fucking awesome considering I don't like the majority of most Friday the 13th films and or slashers. So uh, they've done a really good job. Um, their director, uh, Vincent DeSanti, Who's, uh, who also stars in the films as Jason Voorhees. It does a great um, fucking job. Yeah, and so this this film is the follow-up, and it's, you know, another idiot finds his way into... Uh, <laughs> 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 finds his way into fucking Camp Blood or Camp Crystal Lake, and, you know, guess who's got to go handle some fucking business? Yeah. And, yeah, you get Jason hunting this dude down in the fucking snow, Um it's a, it's a half hour flick. If you've got time, it's on YouTube, free of charge. If you backed it on, on what was it, Kickstarter or GoFund? Was it, I don't remember which one it was. No, it was, it was Kickstarter, I'm pretty sure. The Kickstarter, yeah. Yeah, they're, and they're both up there because they, they have to not make profit from them. So they're, you know, they're, it, and, and I waited to watch it because I wanted to get my Blu-rays. So once I got them, I watched them. Definitely. Yeah, it's, and, and they're, they're cool flicks. Um, and uh, DeSanti plays a kick-ass uh, Voorhees again, once again. Yeah. Um, can't go into too much about it because, I mean, it's only a 30-minute short, but uh, it's available out there. It's streaming on YouTube free of charge. Uh, for those that were lucky enough to, um, you know, back it and get the Blu-rays, they're fucking welcome additions to, to whatever Friday the 13th collection you do have at home. Um, and especially considering we just had a Friday the 13th, uh, it was the film that I watched on Friday the 13th. So that's very awesome. happy to have that in the collection and to have watched it. And from what I heard, well, from what I saw from uh, DeSanti on a recent uh, live stream on Friday the 13th, actually, he talked about how this is going to be the jump to a new feature length film that he'll be doing crowdfunding for shortly. So I'm looking forward to where this goes. Um, it's gonna be fun i mean that's the one thing i can say about it is they're, they're using practical effects the kills are fucking great yeah and and uh desanti's you know Voorhees stocks with the best of them and you know i can't wait to see what comes next 
Yeah, definitely. And well, well, and also the fact that they in you know the end of the first one, Never Hike Alone, brings back Tom Matthews as Tommy Jarvis, who yeah. I don't know, I don't know what you know number in the original Friday Thirteenth. So he was also Freddie in in Return of the Living Dead. Um, so uh, I don't know what he was Tommy Jarvis in one or two of the original ones, and so it's a, a big deal to bring him back, and it's you know. And he has more I of a don't role in this. Which one it was? I just remember they dug him up. They stuck a you know. Yeah, yeah, that, that one. I think it's, I think it's I think it's six. Might be six, five or six. Um, I I always I, that was one I saw as a kid, and I always thought it was just asinine. I'm like, wait, they're digging him up to to make sure he's dead, and yeah, ramming the metal rod and, and then the lightning, and yeah, there you go. Well, you kind of did that to yourself, buddy. Um, Earlier incarnations of Jarvis were famously portrayed by. Uh, was it was Feldman, Corey Feldman? Yeah, Feldman. Um, I think they Feldman need to bring back. In this yes, <laughs> no, he's not. He's not. He, yeah, he's not. I think they should bring back uh, Crispin Glover's character, even though I'm pretty sure he died. But I'd love to see him. Uh, <laughs> I'd love to see him dance again. You know, so maybe so maybe somebody could dig up his character's corpse and put a, a lightning rod in it, and you know, get up and dance. Um, I I really like this. I was I was telling you, I was taken aback by the fact. I knew it was 30 minutes, but like where it stops, I was like, wait, what the fuck? And then you were, you know, then you had told me, oh, this is just like basically like, it, so I feel like people should look at this as the zero issue for the upcoming feature, because I guess the feature is going to be, because this leaves like all these loose threads. It's like, I just didn't get it at first. And then of course, when you explain that there's going to be another one and it'll be longer, and Matthews will be back again. I'm like, okay, now everything makes sense. But yeah, it's really well done. It's got a great opening. Um, just in general, I just, I really liked it. So I, I, th I think Womp Stomp is pretty cool. They did a really cool music video too from, uh, I think his name's Trevor Vaughn. He did a song for the soundtrack. And the song's called Disappear. And DeSanti is, uh, I think they filmed it all during, during um, Never Hike in the Snow. But there's, <laughs> it's just this cool video of like Jason sitting in his room, you know, his mom's head's next to him, next to his bed, just sitting there waiting. And then he hears, you know, laughter by the lake, gets up, goes out, starts hunting these kids down. And it's brutal. <laughs> and oh, the kills nice. are fucking great. If you have a chance, definitely check out Trevor Vaughn's Disappear. Uh, it's directed by DeSanti. It's fucking cool. It's just like, what do you see Jason do on his downtime? And it's it's in there. It's Isn't fucking that, that, rad. That's not an extra on the disc, is it? It actually is. Yes. Okay. I'll, I'm gonna watch it's it. A, it's on. Yeah. It's on. Never hike in the snow. It's on there, but it's okay. also on YouTube for, again for those who who didn't back the project. Yeah. Yeah. If you didn't back it, definitely check check them out on YouTube. Uh, it's not. They're not pirated or whatever. Like I said these are fan films and the way they get around, you know, being cease and desisted or sued is like, there's disclaimers are making no money off of it. It's a labor of love. And, and you could tell it's, it's really well done. And I too, I agree with you. I prefer them over 90% of what's in the actual canon for the, you know, and Hey, you know, I'd love to see, uh, I think the legal shit is maybe over, although I feel like I've heard that before and it wasn't whatever, blah, blah, blah. But if we do get another Friday the 13th, I would think that DeSante, I would love to see him actually helm Absolutely. a major one. So you never know. Absolutely. Um, 
And then another thing too, for those that missed out when they do kickstart the new one, uh, they usually add as perks, like the older Blu-rays that are out of print, they'll do another run of them. So you, you might get a second chance to get the first and second film on Blu-ray again or on DVD or whatever. Sometimes they do like, you know, cool VHS for VHS copies for collectors out there. So they always have really rad perks. And uh, I, I anticipate them having like a, you know, a third or fourth print of Never Hike Alone and, you know, second and third print for um, Never Hike in the Snow. So, I mean, you will probably have another chance again to get these, um, jump on it when, when they get announced. And we'll definitely, and we'll definitely, you know, inform y'all when, when they do get announced. So for those that aren't in the know, you will know here. Yeah, definitely. Um... Yeah, and that's how I got my Never Hike Alone, because you were the one originally, I think you talked about that on one of the first episodes of this podcast, that first movie, and then, it, you know, at that point it was out, so I, I think we watched it on YouTube, and then I didn't see it again until when I backed this, and then, you know, got the, the Blu-rays, so I watched them almost back-to-back recently, and I, I like them both quite a bit, so definitely. I watched Maximiliano Contenti's the Last Matinee, a.k.a. Red Screening. So this is a neo, a neo giallo. Um, I believe filmed in, uh, let's see, I believe it was Argentina. No, Uruguay. I'm sorry. It's from Uruguay. Uh, filmed in Uruguay. And it, it takes place in 1993. And what you have is a, like a, a small not a you know like a family-owned cinema and uh the the daughter who's about college age is filling in for her father who is usually the the projectionist and there's a few you you kind of get your preamble where you you see these various there's a two guy two male teenagers and a girl teenager the friends they go in there's a um uh, an old guy there's a young kid that hit out to stay in this theater to watch you know they're watching um god this movie i i'm pretty sure it's a real movie it's a frankenstein movie i had not heard of before um but anyway uh a killer comes in lowers the the roll cage doors the metal door breaks something off and it's so nobody can get out and then just starts killing everybody and i really liked it it wasn't exactly what i expected and the thing with it is visually it's it's beautiful great soundtrack it's you know the the colors and, and everything you expect visually and sonically from a giallo it also spends a lot of time and somewhat a little bit cumbersomely trying to be true to the giallo kind of pacing and tone and i feel like it gets into a little bit of trouble doing that but overall it's worth it. And, and like, it, it, it you kind of have this thing where you're like, okay, I've, we've spent a little bit too much time getting to know these people. Let's start fucking picking them off. And the dude, the fucking gore is great. And it, it, it gets better. Like as each kill, it gets more and more involved. And then also like nobody's safe. So that was cool too. Um, and there's obviously you're going to get impressions of demons, you know, just because of the, the theater and, I don't know. I, I really liked it. It I expected to be a little bit more like blown the fuck away and couldn't stop talking about it. And I, I wasn't, but that's not to say I think it's great. It's a $5 rental on Prime right now. Totally worth it. I'm pretty sure it'll be on Shutter in like a month. 
Uh, and it definitely like I want to see what else this director does. I I really I I don't know, I think he's got a lot of talent, and I can't wait. So um, I have a question for you. Yeah, yeah. As with most giallos, they kind of play out like whodunits also because you know the killer isn't revealed towards the end so how do they work that into a small setting like a movie theater you know who it is i feel like they thought around that problem like okay we're going to do that and they don't because the first person you meet is the killer okay so you see him sitting in his car and he's got a big jar of olives and he like kind of and it's mostly like the olive juice with like bits and pieces of the olive. And he like reaches in and gets an olive and then eats it like and it's like close-ups and it's really gross and then the jar comes into play later um because he collects things from his victims um and eats them so yeah so i i, I appreciate that that they did it that way because it, it would have been I, I really feel like they thought about exactly the way you asked it you know like that is a, a common trope in giallo and they just didn't it, it remind me a little bit of cold hell where like there's no point you know who the killer in cold hell is the whole time that's kind of part of the the beauty of it so you know i i really liked that about it too i'm in oh I'll, I'll check it out it's it's worth it's worth watching and like i said the pacing just be ready for the pacing it it takes a little bit and speaking of pacing why don't we go into what we both just watched and that is uh jordan graham's Seder. so anthony what'd you think thought it was good it's it's good you know shutter does their their homework every once in a while and then <laughs> and they throw something good out there um no disrespect to shutter maybe a little maybe a little no i'm kidding anyway um it's uh it's picturesque it is well acted it is creepy and unnerving in in the sense that you've seen cabin in the woods type films before and i don't think you ever feel this alone and I don't think you ever feel this, um, like this, this element of being watched. Yeah. And, and I'm just, I'm saying that we just saw, I just, we just talked about Friday the 13th movie where there's Jason watching you in the woods. But, um, you know, this, uh, this film has these performances in it. And I'm still not clear on the woman who, was it his mother or it's his grandmother the grandmother the character noni so apparently in 1968 and he didn't know this when he started he so i was reading this interview with him today with um jordan graham and he said basically so he he did he did everything for this fucking movie if you look at the the first credit screen that comes up he dude literally everything every fucking thing and it took him seven years to do it in, in, including, um, hold on one second. Oh God, where was this? There was this fact I saw that fucking blew me away. Not only did he do everything, he spent seven years making this film. He had to learn how to use color. He had to learn how to color grade the film in uh, Da Vinci Resolve, which is the program he used to color grade it. It took him a thousand hours. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like dude holy fuck he built the fucking cabin he built that cabin 
that's insane like that I... oh oh my god and he, you know he controlled everything and he talked in this interview about like he didn't have the money he had the money to make the movie but he didn't really have a lot of money to pay people to to help him and he didn't want to like borrow favors and stuff like that so outside of his cast which is small and all great he did everything so that's but i mean the fact that he built the fucking cabin but so back to what you said so he used his grandmother who was suffering from dementia and as he was film using these uh, scenes with her she was becoming obviously like it's a, a disease that accelerates and so he he like at some point like it was becoming untenable to use her but um there's a scene in it where the brother pete sits down and she's like oh who are you and he's like i'm your grandson you know blah 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 that was the first time that the actor that played pete had actually met jordan graham's grandmother and so they just played it like natural it's it's there's so many fascinating things about the way that jordan graham made this movie um but yeah so she was had dementia and he used these these foot this footage with her talking and the thing is what he found out is in 1968 his grandmother had this experience with a ouija board where she contacted Seder. And then shortly after spent, I forget how many days just doing automatic writing. She wrote like hundreds or thousands of pages. And it was all the stuff that supposedly Seder had told her. And so she had a relationship and then she was institutionalized after she had a lifelong relationship from 1968 on with this entity, whether or not it really existed or, you know, it was just in her mind. And it's so fascinating, but he uses that. Oh my God. It's wow anyway sorry i just totally had to nerd out yeah. over that because i just was blown the fuck away absolutely it's it, <laughs> as an indie film you can tell what he has to work with and his budget went to the right places i think i felt location was fantastic i felt yeah. his camera work was fantastic i felt he spent a good amount of money on a nice camera to make this thing work because he did they're beautiful the, the, his 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 areas where he shot him are just gorgeous, and the shit he did with this this camera, beautiful. It's 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 amazing. However, it is a slow burn. Oh yeah, it does suffer from pacing issues. Uh, I believe I told you earlier today it does take some endurance to get through it, but yeah. I felt the payoff was was worth it. Um, that seems to be you know the the way of the genre these days. It's you know it, they're all slow burns these days. Um, however, this one is effective. Um, but you know, it, this is his first film. Yeah, I would imagine. Uh, amazing first film, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, I agree. Amazing first film. But uh, yeah, I was. It, it, I think I, I sat through it. I felt bad because I was watching some of this on my phone. I think I watched maybe the first like 30, 40 minutes on on my phone. I'm like, you can't enjoy this you can't watch this film and enjoy it like this. Like it, you have to watch it on, on your television. Yeah. Uh, specifically like in a dark room where you can fully allow yourself to be like enveloped in this, this loneliness that, it, it, yeah, that he created, um, you know, using the forest around this cabin and, and even around his family. Um, everybody does a fantastic job as far as acting goes. You know, they, they, everybody, I, I don't know anyone, but they all came with their A game and they all did a fantastic job. 
Um, yeah. But solid, solid fucking movie. Um, check it out. It's on Shutter. If you're paying says, for it, watch it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, he said, there's an interview. I'll put. I'll try to remember to put the the link to this interview in the show notes. But um, flickeringmyth.com did an interview with Jordan Graham, and he said. Uh, on this film, I was using some decent equipment. I'm used to shooting on DSLR cameras and I'm used to the dynamic range on those, but in terms of capturing the forest, it's awful. The sun peeking through is either overexposed or underexposed. And so this is, I'm reading this because one of the things about this, I'm watching this, I'm like, holy fuck, he's shooting. It's all natural light. There's so many outdoor shots. It's all natural light. So it's no, it, no wonder it took him so fucking long to film this thing because you would have to, you'd have, you know, today we have this light and we have it for this amount of time. Yeah, your magic and hour, that's, that's it, yeah. Or, or whatever, yeah, wh whether it's magic hour or not, it's like whatever he got, he would only have that time and then it would be gone and he'd have to either film something else that day or come back to it the next day. And I thought that was fascinating. And I'm like, there's no way he's, I, so I don't know if he he doesn't say if he used film or not. I didn't. I, I don't necessarily know that it looks like film, but it's definitely like it's a nice fucking camera because definitely there's there's just some shots they capture the the isolation and the regal glory of these forests that there's like one shot where he's standing on this like it looks like a log and then you realize I think it pans back and it's literally like these this whole patch of these trees that has just been somehow uprooted and tipped yeah. over <laughs> it's i mean i'm like is this the redwoods i don't i don't think it is i forget what the um the uh the filming locations were uh uh santa cruz california and yosemite valley yosemite national park california so um and another thing i wanted to comment on is i, I and i think one of the things that adds to the pacing in in both like I think an effective way, but what can make it a little difficult at times, it's so fucking quiet. And yeah. it's so it's so funny. He said one of the big inspirations for this movie was No Country for Old Men. And I could so fucking see it because No Country for Old Men, when I saw that in the theater in 2007, I will always say that movie was such a quiet movie. And he even references this scene that always stuck with me as being so effective because of how quiet it is. And it's the one where Brolin goes back to, uh, he fills up the water jugs and goes back to the scene of the crime. And it's just, there's, there's just such a creeping menace to the quiet. And that's what he applies that here. And like, there's no cues that something is going to happen. So, and sometimes nothing does happen. So that, but so that like makes this weird world of the film when you're watching it, where like you never know when something's going to happen. There's nothing that's going to warn you. And like you might feel like because of what's on screen, something's going to happen. And then it doesn't because it's quiet. And then it's still quiet. And then later something does happen. But so you have no frame of reference sonically. And it, it adds to like a lingering, intensifying uh, paranoia that just comes through. And also, that main actor, um, I think the main character's name is Adam, and it's, uh, I believe it's, I think it's Gabriel Nicholson. He just, he, he's so emotive with his face, like, and not in like, in exaggerated fashions either. He says a lot with a little, and just, there's just these little, did you notice the thing 
there's the Evie character. And sometimes they do this thing to her voice. I don't know if you noticed it. Like it's, but it's really fucking effective where you're like, wait a minute, who is, is, is this person real? So I, um, I questioned that a couple of times. I was like, okay, is this a caretaker? Is this, and then I've said, well, wait a minute, but then you don't see the brother have any interaction with her. Yeah. And it's, so that's, that's when I started to ask myself, I go, is she imaginary? Where, yeah. who, who the fuck is this person? Uh, but yeah, it's, I did notice something, something along those lines. It's really interesting. And and like I need I need to watch it again to kind of untangle. I don't even know that I understood the familial. It's all about a family, right? And so I don't know that I understood some of the context of what was happening. I mean, I got enough from it, but I, there's certain things where I'm like, wait, so who was this person to who and blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, I just I really enjoyed it as in like an experience viewing it. I just thought it was fucking fabulous. Um Real quick, I want to go back and say one thing about um, American Horror Story Red Tide I didn't say before. And that's so, listeners, if you haven't listened to the episode Ray and I did with Professor John Trafton from uh, Seattle University, where we did a deep dive on Messiah of Evil from 1973, American Horror Story Red Tide is totally riffing off of Messiah of Evil at times. The desolation of, of the seaside. So first of all, I love this thing where like I've really gotten into seaside horror over the last couple of months and Messiah of Evil had something to do with it, but also Joe Bob playing um, both, what is it, Dead and Buried and um, Humanoids from the Deep, which is a movie I always dismissed and then loved. But I've really been thinking like, oh man, the seaside horror, I'm really getting a thing for this, you know? And then they're doing it with Red Tide. And also there's a scene where like the character goes into the supermarket and there's the, it's an empty supermarket and there's the fucking open meat case. And he just starts pulling, he doesn't start feeding on it there, but he's, he buys a bunch of the, the meat and it's just, there's no way they weren't riffing on Messiah of Evil. So I thought that was super cool. I love that kind of synchronicity, uh, but definitely, I implore anybody that hasn't listened to that yet. I just, I, I love that. And the newest episode of John, John um, Trafton and Miles Fortune's um, This Movie Saved My Life is great too. They do an all-nighter. <laughs> it's, it was just really cool. John opens with a movie. I was like, I can't believe you opened with this. Anyway, um, Ray, what do you got? Uh, I don't have anything else, I think, but I did want to throw something out there. And that okay. was... Um, uh, to go back to something that Anthony used to do back in the day, and that is uh, just a little, like, a, maybe just the final thought or an interesting yeah. question. Uh, and I'm actually going to borrow from uh, what you posted. So if you're out there in listener land and, and you comment on the uh, Facebook uh, posts, uh, Sean asked the other day, what is your favorite slasher film? Uh, which I thought was an interesting question. Um, for me, it was a multi-layered answer, and it's because, uh, well, of the major characters, um, and what I mean by that is that you have your, you have your Halloweens, you have your Texas Chainsaw Massacres, yeah. those kind of things, um, and those are the major characters that everyone gravitates towards. Uh, and of the major characters, probably mine is Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two because it's just so fantastic, it's funny, it's great. Um, no slight against the original film. I just think it's so 
entertaining in quality. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's one of my favorites. But I have to break it up into different genres of slasher films because, like, that's like of the major characters. That's my favorite of uh, the uh, like kind of smaller, uh, low budget, uh, niche cult slasher films. Oh man, I, I said the other day that it was Doom Asylum, which I do like. I do like quite a bit, but. Hmm. It's a hard one because of the slasher movies. Uh, I actually kind of enjoy, like, I haven't, no, no I'm, this isn't a slam, but I've just never watched through all of the Nightmare on Elm Street. So I've never watched through all the Friday, Friday the 13th. Um, I tend to like the smaller things, just the, mm-hmm. like these little cult ones a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, and of those, Doom Asylum is really good, but then Slumber Party Massacre is so yeah. good too. Well, one it's or two. So excellent. Um, because two is not. I if I have to pick between the two, one is the better film. Okay. Two has the better killer, but one is a good movie. I mean, it's such a perfect slasher movie. It's a Slumber Party, and he's attacking. He's just this escaped crazy person with a drill attacking with these girls at a slumber party. And he can't get more perfectly slashed yeah. than that. That's um, true. And of the Neo slashers, I think probably the first Fear Street. Yeah, I Because not, not to take away anything from Scream, because Scream is really good. Scream is really good. But that first Fear Street is so... It knows everything that's come before it. It even knows... Uh, uh, scream um, because it employs um, I forget her name right now but uh, oh shit uh, the one who has the famous mother who's also from um, she's like the first kill in the first Fear Street I can't remember her name right now oh oh uh, but, um, oh my god seriously yeah, uh, uh, it's happening Jesus to you too right now yeah right I mean she's in Donnie Darko uh Oh my goodness! The wedding singer, Drew Barrymore. Jesus Christ! Well, she's in. She's the. She's the. She's the pull in for. Um, for Scream. And oh, you're talking it, about it, the Fear Street. Sorry, it's it's a uh, Ethan Hawke's daughter, Maya Hawke. Yeah, Maya Hawke. But it actually does the same. It does, it actually cleverly references that when you think yeah. about it. It's 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 the Scream, and then it pulls in Maya Hawke, and you look at her and you go, "Oh, she's going to be in this whole thing." She's probably about the, the biggest name in this whole thing. She's going to be in this whole movie. Nope. We're killing her off in the first yep. five minutes. And it's a lot like Scream. I remember going to see Scream in the theater, sitting there and thinking, oh my God, they just killed off Drew Barrymore's character. Like her character is straight up dead. Disemboweled. There's no way she's coming back. This isn't her movie. She's all over the poster. Which is an Holy homage shit. to Psycho. That's true. That's true. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, uh, so but yeah, I just I just remember being out. elated that I didn't have to watch her act through a whole film. <laughs> I like Drew Barrymore, but I don't know. She's great in ET. <laughs> but yeah, I just want to throw it out here right now and say, like, yeah, you that's know, cool. anyone else? Like, Anthony, I know you said you're not a fan of the slasher genre, but like, if you could pick, uh, if you have to pick, what would you say or think it's easy for me. Michael Myers, number one. Uh, quick runner up is The Prowler. The, the, I still the, haven't seen that. Ooh. I need to see that. Ooh. 
Good pick. Yeah, probably, that's probably, a good probably like one. second favorite slasher easily. And it's it's another one of those ones that's, you know, it, it's, it was never franchised or anything like that. And yeah, I really it's just the one-off. And the kills that were fantastic. Now, when you say Michael Myers, do you mean uh, the whole Halloween, all the Halloween films? Like five I'm and weird about that. I like, one, I like one, two, uh-huh. three. I don't like four. I don't like five. I tune in again during six. I don't like seven. I don't like eight. Um, the zombie ones, the first one was okay. Um, the second one was, I don't know what that was. And then as far as the new trilogy that's coming out, um, Sean hit the nail on the head earlier where it was a better better cinematic experience um, opposed to watching again at home. I think I was able to unpack it more and kind of pull it apart. I was like, yeah, there's a bunch of shit in here I don't like and here's why. But, you know, I've discussed that on, on past episodes before. But uh, so, yeah, I, I love the original Halloween 78 and Prowler. Prowler's great. That's cool. That's cool. Yep. I g- I guess I'd have to say I, I, uh, Halloween 78. I just, it's just so simple and perfect and effective. And I have, I have a nostalgia trigger with it and it just can't be beat, but you know, it's almost like maybe when people say, what's your favorite John Carpenter movie? I never say Halloween and I, I never say big trouble in little China. Cause I just feel like just pull them out of the, they're just so, magnificent just pull like let's just talk about the other movies you know and so there's prince of darkness so i kind of feel like slasher wise let's just remove halloween from the mix and and i i actually i don't know i really like the burning um i love the first nightmare on elm street movie um i don't know i mean but i also like i do want to go like you know the burning makes me want to go the route that Ray has gone and like kind of find some of these more niche ones and, and, and try them out or whatever. And like, I, I love the yeah, summer party massacre too. I'm not even sure I've seen the first one. I, there's a bunch of stuff I watched in rapid succession where it's like, I don't even, I'm like, it didn't stick. So I'm not sure if I've seen it. I have to, I should watch it again. And see oh, it's, it's who it's, stands it's out because it's just like, what the, f- I see, I feel like I didn't watch it is one. what the fuck. I feel like I did watch one, but when I watched two, it just blew one out of my mind because I was like, what is going on right now with the fucking rockabilly thing? And just that movie is just such a strange, just everything about it is such a strange texture. The house they're in, the like the the neighborhood, like the girls themselves, the band, like it's just so fucking weird to me. There's just something about it. It's like, I'm sure at the time it would have seemed artificial and put together and phony, but it doesn't doesn't feel like that now it feels like such a spot on like example of of what was going on in slasher films at that moment but then plus like shit that you would never expect to see in one so i don't know it's just so weird but yeah i don't know there's a lot of stuff out there prowler i need to see because that's that's savini did the i always read references to his effects in that uh what's the other one um What's the one uh, with Mad Madman? I I've only seen parts of that. I need to see that as well. Um, Which one? Madman. It's another one I think that uses the Cropsey legend, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, that's the one. That's the one in the woods with the yeah. with the old uh, farm. Yes, yes. Madman Mars. Uh, yeah. 
Prowler is better. Um, you saw Burning. You saw. So I, I'd say follow it with Prowler. Okay. Uh, I feel like Mad Men's a better watch, uh, and unfortunately, it's not that on there anymore. But if you can catch it as part of the Joe Bob presentation, it's yeah. Good. That's what I want. Because otherwise, do, it's not on there. It's oh, it's not a. It's it's it, it's one of those ones where it's a it's it's a so good it's bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no so bad it's good i'm sorry so bad no that. i knew what you meant i knew what you it, meant. it's yeah it's got some moments that are really interesting and, and really fun as far as slash movies goes but it's also like oh boy what the hell are you making me put up with like i believe if i remember there's a moment there's a mo- musical moment where this guy like serenades this girl oh wow and you're like sitting there and like the thing is is that madman mars is supposed to be like the shadows watching him from bushes and you're just like uh please please let him just come out of the bushes and murder this guy at this moment right now because i really don't want to listen to him and he doesn't he doesn't come until later and you're like oh what? man Whose choice was it to let hit this guy free free go, free ball on this fucking song? You're like, oh no. Um, Sleeper uh, Slipper Party Massacre though, the first one is pretty good. It's it it, it 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 it. I think it really preys on the on the concept that there were probably they probably knew because uh, my sister was uh, a small as was a child in the '80s, like just as I was, but. She went to a lot of summer parties and at, I would ask her and she would say that uh, what they, a lot of things, a lot of, a lot of what, what they watched at summer parties after like me mom and dad went to bed at her friend's house was they turn on like Friday the 13th, uh, um, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, that kind of thing and turn it on and she would, she would usually sleep or like not, or like hide under something or go do something else. And, and some of the girls would watch it and they would watch it purposely to scare themselves as they were right. all hanging out together and scream and stuff as they're watching it. And it, it, it clearly was this movie that was made knowing that that was the audience that was gonna be watching the films. So they make this film and it's literally a bunch of girls decide let's have a slumber party. And at the same time, let's have a slumber party. They decide to do this and talk about it. This guy has, has escaped from, um, the local sanitarium he's got he's got he, he has gained access to a drill a big ass drill and he t- decides that's how he's going to spend his friday night is terrorizing these girls party Man, that's, and killing that's... people that randomly show up like the pizza guy and the guys that are coming to try and make out with them <laughs> it's, it's so simple in its concept and it's fantastic I, I knew, now I know I've seen it because I remember the scene with the uh, the pizza guy. But I need to watch it again. Maybe I'll do that very soon. That's, I'm it's glad good. you brought that it's up. It's good. It's good. <laughs> well, okay, let's end it there. So, uh, gents, good to see you again, and good to have another episode. And uh, we'll be back soon with more the horror vision. But it, until then, I'm Sean. I'm at Port Anthony. And I'm Rockin' Ray. Rockin' Ray. Rockin' Ray. It's my DJ name. No, oh, that's a terrible. I'm not hiring you. <laughs>
Tony Danza. <laughs> Angela. <laughs> <laughs>